0: Welcome to CoachCast from IECL by GrowthOps. CoachCast is a source of knowledge, insight, and wisdom for coaches and leaders looking to go further. In our podcasts, we take an immersive dive into the minds of extraordinary people and bring you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and influential coaches and thought leaders. In studio today, we are delighted to welcome Jonathan, or Jono who is the director of the Atlassian Foundation. Jono is the co-founder of Young Change Agents, a social enterprise aimed at helping our young people see problems as opportunities. Jono is passionate about three things, his faith, his family, and the All Blacks. Let's listen in. So, Jono, what can we
1: as coaches or can organisations in general learn from the All Blacks? I hear you're a fan.
2: Um, I, was, I was surprised you put this question in here, actually, because uh, for Christmas, I got given a book called Legacy, and I highly recommend it. I'm only halfway through it, mind you, uh, which talks about uh, business what businesses can learn from the All Blacks. And um the first chapter really stood out to me and the chapter's called Sweeping the Sheds. So there's a tradition in the All Blacks that the the top player of the game or the the player of the match has the responsibility at the end of the game after after all the work and the, the lockers are done when people have changed and they go out, that they have to clean it up. They have to pretty much sweep it, uh, sweep it out sort of thing. And it's a tradition that's been going for a, a while now. And the idea there is... To, to maintain or bring humility back into the role, back into 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 players, right? That, to think that no one person is bigger than the team and, and bigger than the game. And I think that's something that um, we as coaches and we as uh, organisations, businesses could really learn, right? Uh, the people we're serving uh, is and the people and the, and the team that we're part of is actually bigger than us. And so... Uh, humility, I think, is something that's, uh, that I'm learning a lot in, in my roles, but there's a coach and, um, in, in Atlassian, the organisation I'm working for.
1: And speaking of Atlassian, give us a course. What's it really like to work at Atlassian?
2: Um, oh, you should know. You guys are based in the same building that we are. You know about our T-shirts and you know about uh, the dress coats that we have. But that's really, that's really uh, very peripheral, uh, it is. It is probably one of the most remarkable companies I've ever worked for. Um, the values is at the core of everything that we do. Um, there's five values that govern it. Uh, two of it's got some pretty interesting language in there, but it really hits home about um, what we are and what we're trying to do. And, and for me, that was the first thing that I really uh, learned about uh, the organisation and, and, and still do very much value. It's a highly innovative, uh, very strong culture in, in what we do. Um, but it, at the heart of it, there's a real genuine focus on giving back, and, um, and and I'm speaking in the context of working in the foundation, the charitable side of uh, Atlassian, uh, it is very generous in, in terms of what they do, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about it as you progress.
1: And so can we dig into that now? So you're the foundation director of Atlassian Foundation. What does the foundation do? What are some of their the activities and, sure. yep. and that generosity? What does it look like? Yeah,
2: uh, so we've got uh, three main focus areas in what we work in. Uh, it is about uh, essentially the best way of summing out is about bringing out the best in uh, our education, Uh, With young people, bring out the best in business and bring out the best in our people, our Atlassians. In the education space, we've got a goal to really get behind and support innovative uh, education practices that's really going to scale and reach millions and millions of people. And we're working with some really awesome nonprofits around the world to achieve that. Pledge 1% is the focus of number two. And um, I'll share a little bit about that in a minute. But uh, essentially, it is about growing the Pledge 1% model in different businesses. And then finally, the area that I am probably most passionate about and the area that I look after is bringing out the best in our people. So as uh, Atlassians, as employees, uh, our people are given five days a year to volunteer, to give back, to make a difference in the communities that we live. So it is about how can I engage them and how can I motivate them and how can, and I say I, but it's actually our team team, how can we do those things to get the best out of them giving back to their community that they live
1: in? And on one percent pledge, that that's not an Atlassian initiative. It was something that was established before Atlassian took that up. Could you tell me a little bit sure. more about
2: that? Yeah, yeah. I, it's actually one of my uh, favourite stories I love to tell because it's one of the best examples of generosity. So uh, I think Salesforce pioneered it initially with their one 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 model, and the idea is to essentially give back one percent of um, your proce- your 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 profits, your employee time, um, products, and so on. How it came about in Atlassian is actually, again, it's a really lovely story. Uh, Scott and Mike, our two founders, early on when they set up Atlassian, uh, wanted to do something impactful and meaningful. But, you know, like any new business owner, starter, you just don't have time. And so what they did was they took, uh, they made a decision to give away 1% of uh, the equity in the company. So this is kind of going back 2002, 2003, and three, four. Around that time, when the company was worth nothing, right? Probably even I think that time they were in ten thousand credit card debt or something like that. They made the decision to give away one percent, and uh, it was a, it was a pretty easy decision to do back then. Uh, but if you fast forward it to now, the company is worth I don't know thirty five billion U S dollars, right? It's a significant amount. So that 1% to give away it would be a lot more difficult, especially now that it's a publicly traded company and you've got a whole bunch of regulations and so on like that. And so that's a model that really worked well for us, worked well for Salesforce uh, and a number of other organizations. And so uh, what we did was we uh, got together with Salesforce and a few other organizations and actually set up a nonprofit, really, uh, in the US, whose sole focus is to grow that pledge one percent model and other startups is to get that model working in, in startups, early stage companies. Um, and so far, we've got about ten thousand organizations that have taken the pledge, which is amazing. And in Australia, we're sitting at about, I think, about thirteen hundred that have taken the pledge, which is again, it's uh, reflective of the ecosystem that we have here. But again, it's amazing, and and what we want to do is see that growing. We want to see people, organizations, um, activating those pledges, acting on those pledges. Um, and for anybody listening who has a small business of their own, we'd really encourage you to take it. It's really simple. It's just a, a commitment that you make online. Um, you are committing to uh, essentially give away either, and I would say either, either and or um, 1% of your equity, your profit. Uh, your employee time and or your products, so it's either or A lot of a lot of early stage companies start with just employee time because it is the easiest thing to uh, get started on. So that's the idea behind uh, pledge
1: 4%. Thank you for sharing that. It's yeah, it's it sounds like a simple thing to to wrap your head around and something that you can apply as you say from from day one, regardless of business size. So you have an incredible experience and background in managing two very iconic Australian foundations. So you've talked a little bit about Atlassian Foundation, but you also managed Qantas Foundation uh, previously. And in both those roles, you're responsible for leveraging business resources for the betterment of society. Just some of those things you're just referring to. So I know there's to be some of our listeners out there that are very keen to get some tips or some learnings from you um, in terms of the experience that you've had. And particularly, I'm thinking of those people that maybe aspiring foundation managers or looking to take a leading role in foundation type work. So what tips or learnings could you share with them?
2: Sure yeah it's um, it's a question that uh, I get uh, I get asked a lot and it's I've kind of narrowed it down to a few things that I would really say. The first thing is, don't, or at least initially, don't do any formal study in the process, right? So a lot of the questions I get asked is, oh, look, I'm thinking of going and studying this qualification and, and social impact work at this university and devoting two, three years of my life to do that. I would say don't do that initially because what we're finding is the people that are coming out of these courses have got fantastic theoretical knowledge but very little experience in applying that in the, in the workforce, in the real world. So my advice is get in and just volunteer, right? Volunteer uh, in the organization that you're working in, all right, and a lot of people, that I do talk to are people in corporates that want to move into these sorts of roles within that corporate. So my advice is first volunteer your way in, right? Get in there, get to know the, the foundation of the CSR department, learn about it, uh, get stuck in. There's always opportunities to, to be involved. And then as you start developing and as you start entering that space, then probably look at some formal study in that space. But really, first thing is you want to really really understand the organisation. I would also say uh, focus on the transferable skills that you have rather than the actual qualification. So much of what we do and and the peers in in the space don't wake up and go, we're going to be a foundation manager. We usually come at it from different backgrounds. I've come at it from a public service slash HR slash project management slash (laughs) type roles. And... um, it's those skills that you develop in those roles that you can transfer. And to give you an example, we've just uh, I've just hired three people in the last uh, year and a bit into the foundation at Lassie, and, and none of them had foundation-specific experience. Never studied this formally, but they had amazing transferable skills that we needed. So, for example, uh, about three months ago hired a um, a guy that uh, used to work with us at Alessi and a software developer, but had amazing video and comms skills. And that was something that we needed. And now he's our comms person developing um, to be a foundation manager sort of thing. So the second thing I'd say is, is focus on transferable skills and and really work on those. And the final thing I would say is network like crazy, right? Um, Australia is really, really small in this space. We're not as advanced as the US and Europe are in in the CSR and foundation space. Um, So there's very few opportunities that come up like this. And so a lot of the opportunities that do come up usually happen within sort of, informal networks so my advice is use the channels that are available like linkedin and so on like that and reach out to organizations that you admire i think that's really important right you do target organizations that you admire and then reach out to the foundation managers there the csr people there to connect for a coffee and and just pick their brains that's and do it in a genuine way not to get a job out of it but to really learn and to understand the organization
1: And on the flip side for the organisations who are considering setting up their own foundation, you've mentioned 1% Pledge. Is there any other tips or advice you'd be giving to organisations looking to do something similar?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The first thing that you want to consider when you're setting up a foundation is don't, right? Uh, And I say that don't, it's because a lot of people are was enamoured with this idea of actually having a foundation and and doing some good out of it. But really, the structure tends to be quite restrictive depending on what you are trying to do. So the first thing I would really advise is knowing what you are passionate about, knowing the why behind what you're trying to do. If you can figure that out as an individual or as an organisation, then the structure kind of follows, right? Um, and, you know, we see it through Pledge 1%. Like, um, you know, there's uh, there's very few that we see kind of going down that line of setting up private foundations, all right? Generally, private foundations are really, really good if you've got a, a sizable um, corpus that you're going to be, I guess, stewarding. But generally, when you're starting out, I would recommend just figuring out what you want to do. Uh, Pledge 1%, again, cl- was I saying? classic example, um, we have people that follow their passion and generally do a lot of their giving, a lot of their volunteering through organisations that they support. And they find that a lot easier than actually going down the route of setting up foundations, which is really expensive. Setting up to managing to maintaining and so on takes a lot of money to do that.
1: As your own giving back, you provide pro bono coaching to the not-for-profit sector yourself. Could you share how this works for you and a couple of examples of work that you do in that space?
2: Sure, yep. So generally the, the coaching that I do for the sector comes out of our um, my volunteering leave. So we get five days a year to volunteer. And essentially for me, where I feel I could add the biggest value with my skill sets is around coaching. Um, coaching in the sector. Um, and there's a couple of areas that I focus on. First, as we mentioned, is just people trying to break into the sector. Um, and I shared a little bit about that and some of the advice and some of the work I do there. But then secondly, it is with nonprofits and um, nonprofits who are learning or starting out um, and wanting sort of advice, uh, thinking through how they approach organisations, corporates for funding and, and so on like that. So we do a lot of work around that and not necessarily uh, telling them what to do but more about getting them to think through their asks getting them to think through their strategies and so on like that there is a, a, a bit of work that I that I do around uh, mentoring young kids in the space again uh, these are young kids just trying to find their purpose in life trying to find the next step and actually it's not even just young people it's it's everybody at every stage in life and there's a lot of people in their twilight of their careers that are kind of you know done the, done the deed in corporate. Australia or um, have made their mark in their career and now want to move into something a bit more meaningful. So um, and those are some of the most fulfilling sort of conversations that I do have because I end up walking away learning a lot more about my career journey um, as as you help other people through theirs.
1: And what types of coaching do you do? There's that pro bono coaching in the not-for-profit sector, but I'm sure there's other ways that you're you're coaching at this present time.
2: Mm-hmm. So the, one of the main reasons I got involved with IECL was to develop my coaching within Atlassian right? Um, it was actually, there was actually actually two reasons. One was I, uh, I wanted to develop my coaching skills within Atlassian. Secondly, I wanted to take all this coaching that I was doing and then formalise it in some way and what better way to do it than actually have some sort of qualification around it. And so to answer your question, I'm, I'm doing a lot more in, within the company itself. So I have um, a, a small team of six people that I that I manage and, um, and a lot of the conversations is now a coaching conversations as opposed to something that is a lot more self, as a, that is a lot more directive. Right, and that's that's great because you start to see people take ownership of the solutions and ownership of their own journey and their own projects that they're working on, their own tasks and so on like that. And um, rather than you know, relying on me to tell them what to do, um, but also within Atlassian, broader than my team, um, Atlassian's a, a really it's in a really interesting place at the moment. Uh, we are growing incredibly fast. There's a lot of technical people who are amazing at their craft, but being um, moved into team lead type roles. And with that, actually much formal sort of training or anything in that, which, you know, when you're moving so fast, you don't get that opportunity. So to actually have people like you know, coaches to come alongside them and talk them through, you know, their their management styles and their career journey and, and how they you know, get the best out of their team um, is... I find, again, really fulfilling, and that's something that's happening a lot of, and I think there's a lot of value in coaching and in Atlassian's being trained in that coaching technique to get out of. So that's kind of uh, my main ways I'm doing it internally with an Atlassian. Sorry, I, actually, there is one other thing, actually, if I can add. There's a lot of ask around, and it's not just Atlassian, and I'm seeing that around corporate Australia, around employees finding their purpose, right, Um and it, and I say a typical conversation goes like this with the, an employee or someone within the sector is, you know, I love my job, I love my team, I love what we're doing, I love uh, what we're achieving, but I still have a, 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 a sense or a lack of purpose in in my life. And uh, can you help me get a job at a nonprofit, right? Because I think if I work at a nonprofit and I'm doing some social good there, I'll have that sense of purpose. And Usually what happens in these coaching conversations is as we explore it further, the individual then starts to realise, hey, actually, you know what, I can find that fulfilment in my role. I can find it uh, in the the tasks that I'm doing. It's It's just that flip in terms of their focus and in terms of how they perceive what social impact really is in their role. And that's been exciting, seeing that happening within the company, seeing that happening outside the company.
1: Can I go back to something you mentioned a moment ago and explore it a little bit further? You were you were talking about what sounded very much to me like a, a coaching approach to leading. And when you're talking about that transition that someone's making into leading a team for the first time and, and a coach's role in sitting alongside them to help them step into that. But doing that in the context of fast pace and high growth... Um, It reminds me of something that I watched recently, which um, was the CEO of LinkedIn talking about, you know, at that time of high growth, you you have to change style, you have to change tactics, just literally no time to be with everybody all of the time and providing direction, guidance, training, so you must take a different approach. And I'd, I'd love to explore that a little further with you in terms of how you see... That coaching approach to say leading a team, enabling organizations like Atlassian to grow and to do that fast. Um,
2: yeah, I think there's two things that really stand out. I think the first one is you've got to know that when you hire, you, you're hiring the right people, right, that have the potential to execute, right? That essentially get it done really, really fast. That's the first one. Secondly, I think it's really important to have trust in the people that you hire that. When you do uh, give them the, the the task ahead that they can execute on it, and when you've got those two things going for you, your role as a coach just becomes that much faster, and much much easier. So your conversation is really around, okay, look, what are we going to focus on today? What's your concerns? And then, you know, then that becomes a conversation. So the person that you're coaching then actually brings the agenda to you and it becomes a more of a process around self-discovery, right? And that can happen very fast, right? Like, uh, it's one of the things I learned, one of the things, take memorable things I learned when I did the ICL coach is how to coach on the run, how to coach on, you know, on the fly sort of thing. And so much of these conversations just happen, you know, while you're at the water cooler or when you're on a quick VC, right? And it's just really about asking the right questions. As soon as you can ask the right questions, you can just see the light bulb happening. But you can't do that if you haven't got the trust built with that person and if you don't hire the right people into the role. And that's just something that we see in these fast-growing companies happening a lot. There's so much effort put into hiring the right people. Like Atlassian Interviews, you know. You, Most people go through about six to eight interviews before they get the role, right? It's a lot of kind of hoops to jump, but it's to ensure that we get the right people. And it's also ensure that the people that we get actually want to come and work with us so that we put a lot of effort into that. And then secondly, we put a lot of effort into building trust in, in, in the teams that we do. And I think those are two real foundational things.
1: You've mentioned a couple of times your IECL coach training and you are part of the IECL alumni. What uh, drew you to coach training in the first place?
2: Yeah, um, I think I mentioned it before. I think two things. I generally had a need to uh, adopt a better way of leading my team. Of this this people, six people. um, that was beyond being directive. That was the first real goal. Uh, secondly, um, I'd really wanted to formalize a lot of what i what I do in an informal capacity, either within Atlassian or outside in the sector. And so to have, some sort of qualification some sort of methodology right really helped and it really gave me something to hook it on to and then also just having a, a community around around me that that is supportive that is encouraging that is almost in the same boat right uh, really helps and I think they're the, they're the kind of the, the main things that really did and, and you know what actually you guys being based in my building having to jump in a bit lift and go down a few floors really really helped right
1: yeah. <laughs> it's handy yeah what research did you do beforehand to determine whether IACL was the right place? Was there a few options out there? Yeah, and aside from us being in the right building,
2: yeah, that 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 played a small part. Look, to be honest, not much, but a lot of lot of what I got was the alumni people that I was talking to had done, you know, the the level one, the level two, and. They were the best advocates, I think, um, IECL actually had. It's like, Jono, you're doing this already at Lassian. You're doing this externally. Go get certified. Go get some formal sort of structure into it. So I, uh, to be honest, I didn't really look anywhere. I just listened to some of the people that, I was, that was crossing my part that were recommending me to do it. And uh, just that word of mouth was probably stronger than, uh, that recommendation through um, alumni was a lot stronger than anything else that I really saw.
1: And you've, um, as you said, undertaken your coach training and you're applying it in a range of ways. How would you now describe your coaching style? What's, what's it evolved to at this point?
2: I, I honestly don't know that I have a style. Um, I wish, yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I generally do think I tend to be quite a, I've learned to listen more right? And and that's something that uh, my wife is really appreciative of. But generally, uh, just people are just really generally appreciate that you can actually sit and listen. And uh, so that's something that, that I've learned a lot, that I've practiced a lot to do. Um, I'm being less and less directive, right? And um, I'm starting to realize sometimes, actually most of the time, people have it within themselves to actually find the solution and actually run with it themselves. And it's just asking the right questions at the right time is what makes the difference. So, look, I don't have a style. It, I think the style sometimes needs to change with individuals, right? Uh, but, yeah, no, generally I, I don't have one.
1: And what about as we look forward the future, what are you aspiring to do, and particularly in relation to your coaching? How are you seeing that you might be coaching in the future? Is it any different? A
2: little yes and no, yes and no. Uh, I'd like to do more in the sector. I I really would like to see a lot more people moving into this space. I really would like to, especially pledge one percent. I'd love to see a lot more organisations, kind of moving into 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 the giving back sort of space. So uh, there's, there's opportunities there. Um, within Atlassian as well, within our team, we're exploring this um, concept of self-directed volunteering, right? And this is where um, teams kind of come together. They form together around a social cause, around an area that's really passionate. And then they go out and they do something in that space, usually around high school volunteering, and I think there's opportunities there for uh, for people in the coaching space to really come alongside them and actually provide the support and um, almost ask the right questions sort of thing to kind of get them going so I think that's that's probably something that's got me really excited about 2020 right how can we uh, grow self-directed sort of social impact within within Atlassian it'd be awesome to see that happening within you know the broader community as well
1: mm what do you see your role as in that? Would you like to be working with one of the teams or a few of the teams or do you see yourself more as a coordinator of the efforts?
2: Yeah, look, I, when, you, when you work at Atlassian, the first thing you learn is whatever you do, it's got to scale, right? And so the challenge that we have here is how do you take something that is so personal and so almost a one-on-one sort of interaction and how do you scale that, right, that probably involved... You know, which might involve a technology component or something to it. And that's sort of where I'd really like to play and be involved in and explore, right? How can this go beyond just Jono or beyond the, the few people that are that are coaching at Alassian? How can it scale? And how can people be self-empowered to, you know, ask those questions themselves so they can get better performance?
1: Probably in the right place to find a technology part of the solution. Yeah,
2: probably. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And when I was doing the research and preparing for our conversation today, I was reading, uh, which anybody could, on your LinkedIn profile that said that you get um, the the two things that get you really excited uh, in life. And we're getting a sense of that in terms of the stories you're sharing and the experience you have that we've um, explored a bit today. But the first being able to make positive change in your community and the second being able to lead and motivate and empower others to do the same. So I'm, I'm curious with everything that's going on, if we even just think locally for a moment, um, you know, with Australia's experienced drought and fire and rain and everything else um, you know, that's sort of coming our way, coronavirus and so forth um, in the region. What advice would you give to others about making positive change happen in their community? And I'm considering that particularly in, in times like this, where people want to give back, they want to do more, they want to be part of solutions and be active, How do they become more active or how do they make choices around that?
2: Yeah, it's nothing like the last couple of months to really highlight that internally. When the bushfires hit, we had so many people putting their hands up and not just within Australia, right? Like our team members and you know, some of the remotest part of the world, saying, "Jonah, what can we do? How can we fly in and go and help? Like, people just generally want to do stuff because they feel compelled. They feel the pain. My advice is start where you're at, Like, What's in your hand, right? And what can you do with what's in your hand? And, and for some people, that might be as simple as, look, I don't have much time. I've got money. I can give money, right? And that's the, that's the thing that they could do. Other people, it's like, okay, I don't have money, but I've got the time and I've got these sorts of skill sets, right? That's where I can sort of help. So I would really start by saying, look, let's look at what's in your hand. Let's look at what the needs are out there. There's, there's an element also of just be realistic, right? There's some things you just, you, you feel the pain, but you can't always do things. Right. So, you know, acknowledge that and, and believe that, that, you know, sometimes you just can't do it. But there are people out there that can. There are in better positions to do that. And look at how can you support those. And a really crude example is I see a lot of people wanting to set up their own private foundations and things like that to start doing things in the community well you know, we've got 600,000 non-profits in Australia. Do we need another non-profit to do that? Like, is there someone that you could really get behind and champion and, and, and offer your skills and money to do that? So that's where I would encourage people to start. Uh, I would encourage people to look beyond the, the emotion, right? Because the emotions will come and they will die down, right? And It's after the emotion dies down. That's where, you know, I really feel a lot of the work really needs to start.
1: So, Jono, we'll come to the end of our conversation now. Thank you so much. I mean, we've touched on everything from the all blacks through to foundation tips and your experience, uh, aspiring foundation managers, also looking at pro bono coaching services and not-for-profit sector. So many things we've talked about, but what I'm getting a strong sense of, and I'm sure our listeners are, is in particular how coaching skill, coaching capability, can contribute um, and have impact in our communities. And I'm sure it's getting me thinking, it's getting a lot of our listeners thinking about what they might be doing differently in the future. And, you know, of prompting organisations to think about things like 1% Pledge and and other efforts as well. Uh, Thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation and I've really enjoyed having you as our guest today.
2: Thanks, Renee.
0: We hope you liked today's episode. If you'd like to get the next episode automatically, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Please leave your feedback, questions, and a five-star review. Share this podcast with whoever you think would benefit from the topics we cover. Thank you to our hosts and special guests for the great insights gained in today's episode.